0: Bring the greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and the voice of one crying out in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight a path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Today, we are going to be discussing the issue of crowns. Still on the global theme of eternal judgment, we had spoken earlier about the rewards, eternal rewards, under a the theme of eternal judgment. We had spoken about inheritances, mansions, and we mentioned in passing crowns. Now, we mentioned at the time that there are two kinds of crowns. There's the crown of royalty and the crown of rewards. What we are discussing here is the crown of rewards under the theme of eternal rewards, under the global theme of the doctrine of eternal judgment. There are five crowns of eternal rewards that are mentioned in Scripture, and we'll be looking at them one after the other The five crowns are the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing, and the incorruptible crown. These crowns are mentioned in scripture, and so we shall refer to the scriptures as we discuss these crowns. The first one that we are going to discuss is the crown of life, and I'm going to read James chapter 1 verse 12. It reads, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We find a crown, the crown of life, being promised to people who endure temptation and people who love God. In Revelation chapter two, verse 10, the Lord speaking to the church in Smyrna says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So this is a crown that is given to people who endured temptation, even unto death. The crown is still given to you, even if you did not die as a result of that temptation. But the fact is that you endured it. You were threatened, for example, to deny Christ at the pain of death. But you refused to deny Christ. Even though they did not kill you, you get this crown. It is also a crown for those who love God even though they suffer and do so gladly. That is they are not grumbling, they're not murmuring, they're not wondering why God has not come through for them, why God has abandoned them or forsaken them, but they understand that what they are going through they have to go through. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, "Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice." To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You may also be glad with exceeding joy because you rejoiced even when you suffered. We know that the Lord also told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you cannot be in the kingdom of God. I perceive that from what we've read. If you are unwilling to suffer persecution or unable to endure and overcome temptation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible tells us clearly. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will suffer persecution because you have chosen to live for God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll read from verse 4 to verse 8. Let me take it from verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith. In all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Uh, Being worthy of the kingdom of God is intricately tied to the fact that we will suffer, we will go through temptation, we will have to endure, overcome, and do so with gladness in our hearts. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is expected, it is natural that if you are going to get into the kingdom of God, you will go through tribulation you will go through persecution and it is not enough to suffer persecution for a while and then give up when it matters the most let me read Matthew chapter 24 from verse 9 for completeness to verse 13 then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you It's talking about the end times and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake you see there's nothing you're going to do about it the world is not going to like you if you are a child of God The world's not going to like you the world's going to hate you And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. It's going to be a falling away. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So it is not enough to endure temptation for a while and then give up. The story is told of a man in Roman times during the persecution who was asked to renounce Christ. And he refused. Then they brought his daughter, his only child, and began to torture the little girl. And the girl was wondering why the father was looking at her. Eventually, the father said, Jesus, you know, if it's me alone, I would do everything. But because of this little girl, I just have to. And so he went ahead and renounced Christ. Three days later, the girl died. He didn't save the girl. And he had done what he shouldn't have done. He had renounced Christ. So he had lost the crown of life. That is if he would ever get into eternity. This is the reason why we must teach the truth that is in the Word of God and not be talking about a prosperity gospel that holds nothing whatsoever. The second crown is the crown of righteousness. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved is appearing. This is a crown that is given to those who lived righteously despite life's challenges. They lived righteously. They were tempted to pay a bribe, but they held back and went through the challenges that they needed to go through. They get a crown of righteousness. Also, those who eagerly are yearning for the Lord's return, they also get a prize. They also get this crown. We're going to look at that now. The people who are going to benefit because they are yearning for the return of the Lord Jesus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. When we live righteously, we are actually looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ coming because if you are expecting him to come, you will live righteously. In First John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you are looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will purge yourself. You will live righteously. And it is this righteous living that is also part of our yearning for his return to come quickly. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, all the things that we see on the earth will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We speed up that day. We hasten it. How do we do that? We do that by preaching the gospel. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 14, the Bible tells us, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The preaching of the gospel does not always yield people coming to Christ. It is good if they did come to Christ, but it is so that it will be a witness to all the nations of the world, that they preached the gospel to them, that they heard the gospel and they refused Christ. So they will have no basis for defending themselves when they stand before God. You and I are supposed to preach the gospel dutifully with love in our hearts, that people might receive understanding and if in their hearts they are touched by it, the spirit of God works in them, they do receive it, glory be to God. If they don't yet, you have preached the gospel because this gospel must be preached to all the world. It is instructive to note that, especially in the United States of America, Canada, and some other Western nations, where freedoms are espoused, even though some of those freedoms one begins to question, but people want to emigrate to those nations. Muslims are emigrating to those nations, and they are emigrating from nations where the gospel cannot be preached. Yet, they come to those nations, and instead of befriending them and getting them to hear the gospel, We berate them. We come from a posture of hatred for them. But we're supposed to love all men. So you see, if you are truly yearning for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, immigration will be something that as a Christian, you would actually push forward in your nation. But we are so selfish, so self-focused, so self-centered that we cannot even see what God is doing in our time. The gospel needs to be preached. And so, when we say that we want the crown of righteousness, we are speaking of living righteously, we are speaking of preaching the gospel, yearning for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1 verse 27, the Bible tells us, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us that we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. That is, God is to protect us from the evil one. God does not want us to be isolated from the world, but he wants us to be insulated from its influence, from sin and from iniquity. And that is what he's saying here. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is how we get the crown of righteousness. Opportunities are given to us to soil ourselves, but we renounce those opportunities and we hold on to God. That way we remain unspotted. That way we await the reward of the crown of righteousness. Paul was so sure because of the things that he gave up just to live righteously. The third crown is the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The crown of glory is what is called the shepherd's crown for shepherding the flock of God. Willingly, not for gain, not because of the money, not because of the fame, but as an example. A shepherd is the example that the sheep see. We are not there to lord it over the people of God. So when you qualify under these conditions as an overseer of the flock of God, then the crown of glory will be yours. I also want us to note that it is not just people who are pastors that this concerns. No, it's more than that. John chapter 10 from verse 11 to 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He is a hireling because he is there for the money. He is there for the pay. He's not there because of the flock. He's not interested in the sheep. No, he's just there because there's money to be made when you preach the gospel. That's what they think. And that's why they are there. They are there for gain. They're not there because they want to take care of the sheep. The shepherd is the one that is ready to give his life for the sake of the flock. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by them. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. A shepherd. As we are discussing here, who gets the shepherd's crown is one who is prepared to lay down his life for the flock. You are not there to serve for gain. You're not there to serve for fame. You're not there to serve for whatever purpose apart from you are willing to give your life for the flock. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. From verse 13 to 18, Paul made a very interesting statement here. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So there's nothing wrong in partaking of the substance that is given to you to enjoy. God gives everybody all things to enjoy, but that is not the goal. Verse 14, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That is the simple truth. That is the attitude of the man who gets a shepherd's crown. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, a steward is one who handles what he has been given as though it were his, but it's not his. A hireling looks at the sheep and says, well, it's not my flock. But if that hireling were a shepherd, he would stand and defend and protect the flock. Not because you're getting food, but because the flock belong to you and you're a steward. The Bible says it is expected in stewards that a man be found faithful. In verse 18, it says, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I will not insist that you come and drop a prophet's offering. I will rather serve and leave the rest to God. And God will take care of me. God will take care of all such people who are devoted. Remember, we read Matthew chapter 10 last week. We read from 40 by do 41 and 42. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. That is, because he's a prophet of God, he receives a reward. He receives the same reward that the prophet will get because he took care of the prophet. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, that's because his righteousness is towards God. He shall receive that righteous man's reward for being supportive of him. Helping him to live righteously. You also get the same reward as that man. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. What is he saying here? The shepherd's crown, like I said earlier, is not only for pastors. It's not only for shepherds. But also those who support the shepherd in their work. All those playing a supporting role. Whether you are known or not known. Whether you are visible or not visible. The people who are praying in their closet for pastors, for those who are shepherding the flock of God, they get this same reward because as a result of their prayer, they are there to help the shepherd do his work. This is not a reward that is based on how many people you minister to or how many people are in your church. No, it is a reward that is based on your willingness to serve, your diligence in service, and your faithfulness in carrying out the care of the flock of God. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10 to 13, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So it is not how much you are given, it's how faithful you are. If you are faithful in taking care of two people that God put in your care, as far as God is concerned, you are faithful in much. If you are not faithful in much, you can never be faithful even they give you two people. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon who will commit to your trust, the true riches. There are true riches that will be given. This is where the true riches are, the rewards. If you are not faithful in the little that was given to you here on the earth, how do you think they will give you anything in eternity? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Who will give you anything if you did not take care of the flock of God? If you were not interested in supporting the pastors, in supporting those who minister to the saints. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. What is required here is that you are faithfully serving God. You are faithfully watching over the flock of God. So we've spoken about the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. Now we move to the fourth one, the crown of rejoicing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What is the crown of rejoicing? It is what we call the soul winner's crown. He's saying here that our crown of rejoicing is you. When you get to eternity, when you get to heaven, the joy, the rejoicing of souls in eternity, becomes a crown of rejoicing on the head of those who want souls. Each soul that is one is like a diadem on your crown. For every soul, and remember I t- said last week that every soul that is one, the people who were involved in every soul get that same one diadem. Every one. So if 20 people were involved in seeing one soul saved and get to heaven from start to finish, all 20 they get a diadem each on account of that one soul. If 500 people were involved in that one soul, all 500 will get one diadem on their crown. That is why in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Why? Because of the diadem. On their crowns, they will be shining. Some crowns will have so much diadem because of their involvement in soul winning, the involvement in taking care of the souls that have been worn, the involvement in counseling aright, the involvement in praying for souls. You will see people shining like stars. Some people you will not be able to look at them because of the brightness of the diadem on their crowns. Proverbs eleven verse thirty, the B part it says, And he who wins souls is wise. A wise man will win souls. The crown of rejoicing is not just for soul winners, but also for people who are wise. Because the people who are wise are soul winners. In Matthew 13, verse 43, the Bible says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why? Because those who are righteous were able to bring souls to the kingdom. So you can win souls by preaching. You can win souls by praying. You can win souls by living right. People are watching. and said, if it's possible to live like this man, then I want to live like that. So you become an example. So you will see that it is possible to win all the crowns. Because as people are looking at you as an example, you can get the crown of glory, the crown of a shepherd. As people are looking at you living a righteous life, you get the crown of righteousness. As people are watching you overcoming temptation, you get the crown of life. So all these crowns can be yours. It's not just that you get one crown. And No, there are some people that will have several crowns on their heads. In James chapter 5, we see another type of soul winner. James 5 verse 20. It says here, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. When you see your brother going into sin, your sister walking into sin, and you lovingly discipline, chastise, or bring them to the place of righteous living, you have saved that soul. You will get a crown, the crown of rejoicing. A diadem comes on your head because of those people. So it is not just about People coming to Christ, but the people who have left coming back to Christ and the church of the living God. It is a crown that comes to people who rescue backsliders from their backsliding. Finally, we look at the incorruptible crown. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. This is the Lord speaking to the church of Philadelphia. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Note this your crown. This is a crown for those who endure deprivation for the sake of Christ and of the gospel. These people endure deprivation. The same can be said of the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, where the Lord counseled them to be ready to go through trials and temptation. These people, the Bible tells us in verse 8, the church in Philadelphia, he said, even though they had little strength, they kept his word and did not deny his name. They refused to renounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, from verse 32, the Bible says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you had a better and an enduring possession for yourself in heaven. This is what is being said here. The incorruptible crown goes to people who endured suffering for the sake of the gospel. They took their properties. They were denied rights because of the gospel. You see, God does not expect you and I to fight for our rights. We have no rights to fight for. That is why he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 to 42, he says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person, for whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. That is the word of the Lord. It may seem tough for us, but there is a reward attached to these things in eternity. In First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writing here from verse 25, he says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but with an imperishable crown. I think I explained this last week or two weeks ago. He's speaking here about the Olympians crown, which was basically a wreath made of carnation or palm frond or something of that sort and was given to them. And he said, they are temperate, running for that perishable crown. That crown that once they receive it, it's green, But a few days later, it withers and it's nothing to show off. Yet we, for an imperishable crown, an incorruptible crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. I put my body under. I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I put my body under. When it say, no, but you should fight for this. You say, no, I'm not going to fight for it. Let God do the fighting for me. I will leave it in the hands of God. If it is something that God wants me to have, fine. If not, let it stay. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to endure hardship. The Lord Jesus Christ told Pontius Pilate, I can right now call angels to come and rescue me. But this earth is not my kingdom. It is what my father wants me to go through. I'm ready to go through with it. So as a soldier of Christ, we must be ready to endure hardship. In verse 4 it says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And in verse 5 he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless it competes according to the rules. There are rules. You cannot be fighting for your rights here as a Christian and expect that you are going to be receiving this crown because you have fought for your rights already. So God is not fighting for you anymore. If you must fight for your rights, do it in your closet where God will speak to you. So these are the five crowns that Christians should expect to receive from the Lord. The crown of life for those who have endured, who have gone through temptation, who have suffered out of love for God with joy and so on and so forth, they receive the crown of life. We have the crown of righteousness for those who live righteously, those who are waiting expectantly and acting as they should act, preaching so that the day of Christ will come speedily. Those who are ready to go all over the world, preaching. Sometimes they don't have to physically go there. They can do it like we're doing here now on broadcast or they can even do it without in broadcasting or praying. That the gospel will move speedily. Then we have the crown of glory, which I call the shepherd's crown. It's for those who are taking care of the flock of God. Those who are ready to die for the sake of the flock. Those who are ministering to those shepherds are part of those who will receive the shepherd's crown. Then we spoke of the crown of rejoicing, which is like a diadem on the crowns of the heads of people. Each diadem represents a soul. And so some people will be shining throughout in heaven because of the souls that they brought to Christ. Because of the souls that they helped bring in to Christ. Remember, it is those who endure to the end. So it is the souls that will come at the end that will make it. Those who bring backsliders back are also those who get the crown of rejoicing. And then there's the incorruptible crown. That's the crown given to people who suffered one deprivation or the other for the sake of Christ and of the gospel. Finally, I close with discussing the significance of sharing about eternal rewards. One, the essence of our sharing is to give believers hope, to encourage them, to endure all things for Christ's sake. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Paul writes, he says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. We go through this deprivation. Why? Because we know there's something ahead. We are waiting for that thing. We are hoping for that thing. We are trusting God that that would happen at the end of all that we have gone through or that we are going through that we get a reward for denying ourselves here on the earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that you cannot even be his disciple unless you are ready to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Sometimes you are called upon by God to deny yourself of certain things that may rightfully be yours, so that others can come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 5 of the same second, Timothy, uh, the Bible says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You are called to endure. So let us endure knowing that our endurance has a reward in eternity. We are not just enduring things and nothing will happen. There is a reward for it. So we have been encouraged to go through what you need to go through here on the earth and do all things because there's a reward in eternity. Secondly, it is to encourage those who are holding on to God to keep doing so, knowing that they will be rewarded. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter six, verse 10, that God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So continue. Don't let anything dissuade you from serving God. Don't let anything dissuade you from doing what God wants you to do. Not even the ill manner of the people that you are doing service to. But remember, it is God you are serving, not those people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Let's look for opportunity to do good, to show the goodness of God in other people's lives. Let's not be weary. You know, sometimes you are doing good, you are doing good, and all you get is insults, all you get are people's bad behavior and everything. He says, do not be weary. Don't grow weary. Just continue to do it. Why? God is going to reward you. So this message is to encourage you. To keep doing good because there is a reward in eternity. Your reward is waiting for you in heaven. If you will do that which God calls you to do. Finally, it is to warn all and sundry that though it may seem that God is not noticing what is happening, yet he is and he will compensate those who have given up things for him and he will leave bare those who refuse to seek him wholeheartedly. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, the Bible says, Those who come to God in faith must understand one thing, that without faith it is impossible to please Him, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God rewards. Understand that God rewards. You may not get any reward here on the earth, but rest assured that there is a greater reward in eternity. In Mark chapter 10 verse 28 to 30, after the Lord Jesus Christ had mentioned that it is impossible for people who love wealth, to get into heaven. And they said, ah, if that's the case, then what of us? And the Lord said to them, don't worry, with men it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now in verse 28 of Mark chapter 10, Then Peter began to ask him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You may not own the houses, but you will not want for accommodation. That's what he's saying. Here. You will gain brothers and sisters in the Lord, even though you have given up your biological brothers and sisters. You may lose the inheritance of your parents because you chose to serve God. They may strike your name off Their wills, but God will give you a reward in eternity. You may lose lands, you may lose property for the sake of Christ, you may suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. But note one thing: you are going to get a reward. Let me tell you one truth here. If anybody is killed for the sake of the gospel, as the breath of life is leaving you and you are shutting your eyes here on the earth, your eyes will open in eternity. So the truth of the matter is that it is but a transition, a momentary transition, and you are into life. So be encouraged. Serve God. There's more to it than just going to church. Coming to Christ is more than going to a building where people are gathered to worship every Sunday or Tuesdays, or Wednesdays, or Thursdays, or having night vigils. It's much more than that. It's more than just going to receive something for yourself every time. Pray for promotion. Pray for this. Pray for that. It will surprise you that many of the prayers we are praying, some of them are redundant. Some of them are irrelevant and unnecessary. If God does not desire that you be in an office... You can pray from now till you turn blue. Nothing will happen. It is if God wants you there. And then you must understand that when you are there, you are there to serve the purpose of God. Not your purpose. Not your plan. So what you need is, Lord, what would you have me to do? Psalm 75, verse 5 and 6. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation or promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Verse seven. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. If God wants you to pray for promotion, he will tell you, pray for your promotion now. And then you pray. You are doing his will. But that you desire promotion so much, you start writing petition against people who are already sitting down there and you want them flushed out. You are using the techniques of Satan. So how do you want God's hand to be involved there? And when you get there, what are you going to do? You are going to think that you are there because of your purpose. God has a plan for your life. Understand that that plan for your life is a good plan. And then go to God in place of prayer and seek his counsel on how you should live your life. For him, remembering that it is the man who pleases God that gets into eternal life. It is that man that gets rewarded in eternity. My prayer is that we would be able to look through this Back to basic series understand ourselves, and then know that there is a purpose for everything that God has done for us. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, Therefore, living the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. We have to move away from these elementary things. But we must understand that this is what it is about. Christianity has a beginning, and there's an end game for Christianity. The end game is not here on the earth. The end game is in eternity. You are not chasing after houses or cars or office or job or wife, or children. That is not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is life in eternity with God. And there's a reward for living according to the will of God here, even when you are deprived. And if you are listening to me now, and you have never at any time surrendered your life to Christ, or maybe you've heard it, but you didn't understand what they are saying, let me tell you the truth. The reality is that man is a sinner. Man is born a sinner. There's nothing you can do to man. He is a sinner. If a man has a bad leg, but he desires to walk straight, it doesn't matter how much he tries. Because he has a bad leg, he cannot walk straight. That is the case of all men. All men are born with a bad leg, sin in their lives. It takes Christ to deal with sin in the life of man. And in dealing with sin in the life of man, when Christ has taken away sin from our lives, he now puts in us the power to live above sin. What does that power do? It enables us to obey God. Because sinners cannot obey God. God now gives you the power to be able to obey Him. And then tells you, do it this way. It doesn't make sense that you are trying to do things on your own. So if you are listening to me now, and you have never at any time looked at yourself and said, Well, I'm a sinner. Today is the day. Understand it. There is nothing you can do about it. You were born a sinner. It is not your fault. Adam and Eve sinned. However, Because you were born a sinner, you sinned. So you have the sin of Adam and Eve and you have your own sins. But when you come to Christ, confessing him as Lord and Savior, the one who paid the price for sin, when you do that, he accepts you. He breathes the breath of life into you. You receive the Spirit of God into your life. And you are now able to serve God acceptably. In that service of God, there are eternal rewards accruing to you as you diligently serve God. So I plead with you, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, this is an opportunity to do so. You can take a kneeling position by your bedside, alone, away from the glare of man, and then talk to God and say to him that you are a sinner, that now you realize that you have been living a life of sin and that you want to come to him. You want him to save your soul and you want him to save you totally from the stranglehold of sin. You want to begin to live a righteous life and you want him to help you. And he will. And in helping you, he will also direct you to a place where you will be ministered to, What people would normally call a church, but I say a gathering of the people of God. He will lead you to some people, someone or a group of people who will help you to grow as a Christian. And then you'll get a Bible and begin to read the Bible. You'll be amazed at what God has in store for you because the Bible is God's letter to man. It speaks of man's life, man's beginning and man's end. It speaks of how man, a bad tree, can be made into a good tree that will produce good fruit. By the grace of God, next week, we will round up on Back to Basics. And I pray that the Almighty God will meet you at the point of need, save your soul where salvation is what is needed, sanctify you where sanctification is what is needed, and help you to serve Him. Until then, God bless you.